Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this Back Issue Spotlight, I am joined by James and Sam, and we are going to be discussing Blackest Night, number 5 through 8, from 2010. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you, John? I am doing well. Sam, how about you? I am wonderful. So, we went through 0 through 4 last time, and I'm just reading the the Blackest Night miniseries itself. James, I think you're only doing that too, right? Correct. Just the miniseries. But Sam, you being the overachiever you are, you've been reading the whole whole event, haven't you? I have. I commend you for that. I wish I had that kind of spare time. I read <laughs> it that way when it first came out, and I've got to say, it's a very different experience doing it, just the, the core miniseries itself. And while I'm enjoying this, I'm not getting anywhere near the excitement out of it I did when I read it in total back in the day when it was first coming out. Yeah, th- there's something to be said with... I, I'm finding it with all the events, the ones that I'm all in on versus the ones where I read the main just story. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the publishers, both of them, leave things out, context and what's going on. You know, char- characters pop in and pop out, and I have no clue who they are, or what's going on, or I have complete knowledge depending on if I'm getting the whole series. And they do that, which of course sells more books, but. To be honest, most people can't afford to buy all these books because when when a big event comes out, you're looking at upwards of, you know, 60, 50, 60 titles. And at four bucks a pop, that's a lot of money. Well, and even if somebody could afford that, and I agree, not everyone could or should, do they have the time and willingness to invest that kind of effort into a story? That's the other thing. Time and money. (laughs) And, and, And it's a rare group of people that can afford it in both time and the money that they have in their bank account. So if you don't have both, a lot of people pair back on these types of things. And then it's a different reading experience. Yeah. It's different. But the other thing I I hear from people is, oh, these mini series crossovers, whatever, they aren't worth it. And in many ways, it's hard to disagree with that. Like, you know, having just read this series, I think I, got six or seven miniseries in while I was reading this. And as a standalone miniseries, they aren't very good. And you probably don't need three or four books worth of information. But the general gist of those series, I think, does help with the overarching story a lot. So it's very easy to go, oh, that's skippable, nothing really happened. But it's also then just as easy to go, well, I don't get why is this character acting like this or where'd that character go? Like, well, he was, that character was over there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the challenge, I think, of modern events is you've got to have the crux of the story in the main miniseries for the event. You've got to have stuff in the side miniseries and tie-in issues that's relevant enough to be worth reading yet not so pivotal that if, if somebody skips all or part of those things, they're lost. Yeah, that, and that's where you end up with that weird, well, it's not really worth it because there's not enough there, 
But like I said, when you take them out, it's easy to see, oh, there there was something there. I don't know if there was 85 books worth of stuff there, yeah. but there was something there. Yeah, yeah. to Sam's point, something interesting with this particular story, you know, me reading it, and I don't have the context of what's going on because I wasn't even reading it back then. My natural question is, you know, where's Wonder Woman at certain points of the story? Mm-hmm. Or where where's this character? And and Sam read that, and he knows. I just know that few you know issues into it. Wow, she pops up out of nowhere for me, and, and that's not good or bad. It's just I wasn't all in, you know. And, and so I didn't get the what's going on and why was she not included? Well, if you just read this mini series, Wonder Woman plays a a bit of a pivotal role later in this, but Superman shows up. He barely speaks, and he's. One of the people who is at the event, but not really a key player of this event. Yeah. But to me, this this break point between four and five is, I think, the best example of how much of this story was happening just elsewhere. Because we come back into five, and we've got representatives of each of the seven core gathered. You know, we've got St. Walker, we've got Sinestro, we've got Hal Jordan, we've got Atrocitus, we've got uh, Carol Ferris as Star Sapphire, Indigo One, we've got Larflees. And... They really had, like, no particular part of the first uh, zero through four issues of this series. Correct. This, this was all going on in uh, either Green Lantern or Green Lantern Corps or both and whatever other titles were going on at the time. So you come in and it's like, well, we've, we've, we've gathered this whole other team. Where the hell did they come from? Yet, if you'd been reading everything like I had back when it first came out, I'm like, man, this is really cool. It's all flowing into this. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, here we are, what... 10, 12 years later, I'm, I'm reading, it's like, where were these characters at the time again? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had the same feeling. I was like, all right, they're together. And, and they, they don't, I know you said it's a writing crutch and all, but they don't even have that little recap page or something, like saying, here's what's happening. And, and I don't feel like they wrote, here's what's happening, per se. They just kind of roll with, and assuming you've, you're reading Green Lantern if you're reading this. And at the time, yeah, I would have been. But now I'm not. So I I was a little bit like, okay, they're together. All right, I'll just roll with it. I think it took an issue off. There is the issue where Indigo One showed up in this series Mm -hmm. and kind of helped them out and basically disappears and takes Hal with her. Yes. And I believe they say they're headed to Oa or... They're going to go gather the others. Yes. And you're right. The rest of that story is mostly in Green Lantern Corps. Uh, well, and Green Lantern. But when they do show up, you might not remember it because it wasn't the last issue, but there was some context, hey, we're going to go get the rest of them. Yeah, but it, in the context of just this miniseries, it, it feels like a major plot point just pulled out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, but again, writing this kind of an event and balancing having the things happening in the other stories be important and relevant enough to be worth reading yet not so important and relevant that if you miss them, you're lost or whatever. That's an impossible thing to do. It really is as a, as a writer. I think like some little disclosure on this book for people, hey, make sure you read blah, 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 you know, issue this of Green Lantern prior to reading this book. Maybe that would have prompted us to go and maybe read up a little bit more. But I, I'm hoping that the editors were doing that at the time because I'm looking at this and it, I don't see any prompt to go read issue whatever. So they're assuming you picked it up and got it in the right order. Well, they were advertising fairly heavily at the time what was going on. There were the checklists and all that kind <gasps> of stuff. That's true. Check, yeah, checklists will take care of that. That's true. What I find interesting is for those of you that have the DC Infinite app, if you look up this storyline, 
it's basically in two parts, or not two parts, but there's two options to read it. One is called the core storyline, which is interesting. It's the main mini, as well as all the tie-in minis. Ah. However, you got to go to the what's listed as full storyline to get the issues of Green Lantern, Green Lantern core, and then all the issues we talked about last time that came with the rings, which, interestingly enough, I think those issues of Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps are more vital and necessary to understand the story than, A, the other miniseries and certainly those other tie-ins. I think there's kind of four groups of issues involved in this event. There's uh, obviously the core miniseries. There's the uh, other Blackest Night colon whatever, whatever miniseries. There's, to your point, the Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, and other stuff under kind of Jeff Johns' purview that were very key parts of this story. And then there's all the other tie-ins and stuff like that. And the tie-ins are, depending, you know, if, if for the core story, not all that important. For particular characters, very important. And man, it's a toss-up to me as to if I consider the Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps-type issues more central to this story than the other Blackest Night miniseries and stuff, and I'd probably say, yeah, they are. I absolutely think they are. They answer all your questions of where are the other cores throughout this entire series. Mm -hmm. Whereas the the miniseries go, okay, yay, you haven't seen uh, the Bat Family. Here's what the Bat Family's doing. You haven't seen Superman. Here's what he, you know. Yeah. Which... They are important or interesting, depending on your interest in those characters. Well, and this is where I think they, the publishers get themselves into a little bit of trouble when they do these all-encompassing events that just take over their publishing line for a few months or whatever. Because if you're into it and able to get it all, it can be awesome, it can be a lot of fun. If you're not, it can really push you out of a lot of titles. Yeah. And then you have the opposite, where you and I are reading uh, certain books, and there was one big event right now that's going on, or event that's going on, where it ties into Deathstroke, Inc., and I canceled that book. And so some of my books are affected, and I don't know what's going on in the entire event because I'm not getting it. So I'm just kind of like going to ignore those issues. You know, I'm, uh, almost. <laughs> I've got a couple of things. Now, we're recording this in, in the end of March. It's not going to go up until, I think, like July, maybe, because I'm recording this one in, uh, well in advance. But anyways, uh, Trial of, of uh, the Amazons or whatever is, is going yeah. through the Wonder Woman titles. The only one I'm getting is Wonder Woman. So I'm getting like chapters three and six or something like that. Yeah. So <laughs> when you've got something that's got a very serialized chapterish kind of thing and you're not getting all the titles, you lose out on the flow sometimes, depending how it's written. There are yeah. other times where a particular chapter of what seems to be a serialized event uh, really doesn't matter at all. I'm looking at one of the particular issues of the, the War for Earth 3 and stuff when I think of that. But it's... It's one of those things that they need to make it enticing to, to try to cross-sell you on everything out there. But it's almost a fool's errand to do that. And this is, uh, Blackest Night's a prime example of this, where they were trying to get people onto every book under the sun, particularly with those, those promotional power rings they gave out. And I was reading a lot of those, because, you know, I was doing the number crunching on the sales and stuff at the time. And I'm like, you know, that's not really an accessible issue that's going to get somebody who picked it up because they wanted the power ring, if they actually read the issue, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But if they did, it's not likely to suck them in and get them on board that title. It didn't do a good sales job on that. 
and I'm not going to say they were necessarily good or bad parts of the Blackest Night crossover, but as a sales tool, they were ineffective. And it's like, what is their actual goal when they're doing some of these things? Is it to sell the issues or to sell people on the titles or, or what? Dumb question, John. You're also starting your Legion thing currently? Yes. Are the adventure comics, what are they, essentially four and five that are tie-ins with Legion, are those in your list? Yes. Okay, yeah. Because it's interesting. It is, it's Block and it's the Legion, but it's Superboy Prime and the Legion and a bunch of Black Lanterns. So I'll be interested when you get to that point in the Legion, how, how, what you think of this as well. I've got somewhere around 1,600 comics in that reading list, so yeah. maybe a little while. I'm going to see what I can do to pick up the pace on that. I've already recorded clips for like 12 of those issues, and I've added a few more to the list since I had originally compiled it and such. But that's, that's one of those things where, at times, there's a clear continuity and, and through line for those. At other times, it like sprawls out to everywhere under the sun. And I love a good event story when it is well done. And I think... The perception of if an event story is well done really comes down to how do you participate in the event as a reader? It really does. It it seems like when they create these, to your point, you're asking what was the point of it? I think it's that completist. You know, the... They're thinking, okay, one day we can publish an omnibus or we can publish this big, you know, chunky book. But also there's the completist out there. The, um, the James back in the day or the you know, whoever, the Mike Myers today, where he's going to pick up, well, he's getting everything, but like, I wasn't getting everything, but I might've picked up this, that, and the other, because I'm thinking it's going to matter. I think it's going to be relevant. But on the flip side of that, I've been burned a lot of times where I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So, so I know what they're trying to do. That's what I think they're trying to do. But, you know, you burn somebody too many times and after event after event after event, you're like, okay, I'm going to get the main one in, maybe one or two of these that look interesting, and the rest forget it. Well, and it's it's a problem because once somebody does that, and they read it, and it's like, oh, I wasn't all that impressed. What was the big deal? They're not likely to go all in on another event. Yeah, that's where I find myself right now. It's, it's tough because I'm typically not all, all in <laughs> anymore. You know, and again, I've had a, a very different reading experience with Blackest Night this time around than before because I'm... 10 plus years removed from that era of the DC continuity. It's old hat to me versus, you know, it was new and, and, and cutting edge at the time. Yeah. I was reading everything under the sun at the time. I was in that completist camp. Absolutely. I was very excited about what's going on. And it's funny, I was talking to Eric the other night and, you know, I was telling him we're doing Blackest Night and he's like, two episodes for Blackest Night. That's like, I forget, how, you know, 80 issues or something. I'm like, no, no, no. We're just doing the miniseries. Because again, I can I can easily justify, oh, I got to read four or five issues for an episode. That's fine. Um, 80 issues. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, how many people are going to say, you know what? I haven't read this. I'm going to go for the full-blown set of Omnibus because it's multiple Omnibus for this, as I recall. Uh, that's, that's a serious chunk. Of, I mean, Sam, how much time did you spend reading all of this? Here's what I'll say. It's my normal amount. I haven't gotten a new comic in the last four or five weeks, whenever the last Mutant Ninja Turtles issue came out was uh-huh. the last one. I, so I've been reading 20, 25 issues a week. So normal, they've just all been this. Mm-hmm. And so then, that, makes, that makes sense. If I wasn't getting the singles, 
you know, like let's say I'm reading 25 issues, I could go through an omnibus no problem. Just chunk here, a chunk there. It's just getting through the going through the motions at that point. Yeah. Well, and that's why for the Legion Spotlight, I'm having that replace one of the back issue spotlights a month, so I have the time to do the reading. Yeah. You know, it just kind of works out that way. Yeah. And, and I do have this omnibus, and I would have pulled it out, except digging through to find these eight issues might have been difficult. But And I didn't have time to read the whole thing. And plus, I didn't want to move like a thousand pounds of books to find it buried in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Got to fire up the forklift, bring it over. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, the back's going to go out. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Again, I enjoyed a lot of what they did here. Uh, again, when they brought in all the various kind of prime lanterns or whatnot, I thought that was cool. Me too. Some of the interactions between some of the characters. I mean, at one point in issue five, we've got like three flashes teaming up with uh, Barry, Wally, and Bart. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I forget where the JSA was at this point. I thought Jay was still around. It would have been fun to have all five, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I like that splash page where they're all doing their slogans, which I'm assuming that's all Jeff Johns created, because he created all the other colors, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, kind of cool. I was wondering, and I guess it's part of the story, and I just haven't read it, why are those uh, Indigo people, that, that apparently they don't speak English, they speak some other, and they're not translating, or whatever that is. They speak gibberish. Gibberish, that's okay. <laughs> sure <laughs> Do they looks that way to me. Do they conveniently have somebody who constantly translates what they're saying, or something? A lot of times they did not, as I recall. Indigo One seems to know English and use it when she needs to, but there's a lot of speaking to herself or her fellow Lantern members of her core in whatever their language is, and we don't get it translated because, well, she didn't feel the need to translate it for anybody but, you know, her fellow core members. Okay. Yeah, I was just reading that. I was like, I guess this is just something I don't know what's going on, but I'll just roll with it. <laughs> but I thought it was really cool. I liked it. You know, I can tell Jeff had a lot of fun creating all of this stuff, this lore, because Green Lanterns was very cool and there's a lot of stuff to it, but he just made it so much broader. And, and it's unfortunate that we don't see a lot of this today in the current Green Lantern. It was definitely some universe building. And I think some of the biggest kind of franchise expansion that DC's done really in the last few decades. Yeah, so that's super cool. I, I, I love seeing that stuff. And I mean, in every issue, you know, you have cool moments. Like in this fifth issue, you, you know, when you see Batman kind of come up, you're like, mm -hmm. and when they're up, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that wasn't expected. <laughs> so yeah, there were some, some cool moments in these issues and such, which again, it's a big event. I expect that kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. I, I, I thought that was the fun part, like seeing the big splash pages and the, the cool stuff. And, and once again, we've said it before, the coloring in here is just amazing with all the, you know, the rainbow of, of lanterns. Well, and issues, issues seven and eight, there are some amazing splash pages. I know in the book club, we've been talking about Avengers and JLA, and we did Crisis a year or so ago. Some of these splash pages of all the lanterns, and some of these come close to rivaling the type of work Perez would do on these kind of pages. Yeah, there was some on there that I did see, and I know what you're talking about. It's just the number of characters and the detail. It was like, wow, that's impressive. They're amazing. Ivan Rice is a great penciler, and Alex Sinclair is a, a top-notch colorist. Yeah. So, I mean, they had a, a great creative team on this. Yeah, they're, they're, it was it was terrific. It was just a lot of fun. and then. It, so was this like the thing, The um, I'm assuming after this, the White Lanterns, was that 
the big thing that came out of this? After this, they did two biweekly limited series that were every other week. One of them was Brightest Day, that this very much leads into with the White Lantern and stuff. And the other was Justice League Generations Lost, I think it was, dealing with Maxwell Lord. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. And I believe the Hank, the Hawk, the, yeah, some of those in that, in those last like three, four pages where you get everyone, well, not everyone, you get a group back. Uh, you get a ton of people back. Yeah. You get a ton of people back. Yeah. And that ser- those two series dealt with basically all those people coming back and kind of the ramifications of it, as well as partially the white light. Ah, okay. A- another thing that I really liked, which I think it was happening around issue seven, was Lex Luthor going around and basically like, you know, taking the rings off people and becoming multicolored. That was just hilarious. I thought it was funny. Well, <laughs> him getting the orange lantern, I thought was just hilarious. Yeah, that was, he's like, and then he's like, wanting all the others. <laughs> Almost like well, Spiegel, Lord and, of the Rings. And kind of the payoff of all of that, when Larflees basically dumps Lex on the hero saying, it's your trash, go deal with it. And Sinestro points out, you know, Larflees, it's the first time you've given something to anyone. Yes. Which is the <laughs> antithesis of mine, mine, mine. It, it was hilarious. Yeah, that was funny. Well, and to back up a little, I actually think the end of five slash the beginning of four, when Necron kind of looks around and goes, wait a minute, y'all were dead. You're back on my side. And Barry and Hal end up outrunning those two black rings. But all the rest of them kind of instantly, you know, you've got that, you know, that's where you get the Black Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Oliver, you know, all of them. Yeah, Papa Troy, yeah. Tara, Bart Allen, Animal Man, everyone who died at one point instantly recruited to his side. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting because this is a clear case where you've got people wearing Black Lantern rings versus what we'd been seeing before of Lan- Black Lantern rings kind of digging up the corpse and reanimating it. Yeah. I thought that was cool. It, 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 that gives you like the real doom and gloom. Uh-oh, it's on. Uh, not only do we get Necron, now you have basically all the good characters are joining the Black Lanterns and coming at our heroes. That was pretty impressive. I, I like the end of it, issue five. Well, and this is where the uh, the art team just did a great job kind of putting their costumes in a Black Lantern kind of motif style or whatnot. Yeah, very cool. It was a, a nice blending of the two things, two styles. And the other thing is you do... You get the very weird Batman Black Lantern kind of there at the end of five, mm-hmm. but very, very different than any of the other Black Lanterns. And then you mentioned, where did this go, James? At the end, the very end. Yeah. Barry, Barry and Hal are talking, like, that That Batman wasn't Batman, you know. Tim's right. He's Bruce is still alive. And the Batman, the return of Bruce Wayne also came out of this. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. And that that takes place in, uh, I'm assuming, Batman. There was a miniseries of Batman, The Return of Bruce Wayne, or something like that. Oh, okay. And then that eventually led into the first version of Batman Incorporated, I believe. Oh, okay, cool. I I did think at the end of six, when we've got Adam, Flash, Mira, Lex, Wonder Woman, and Scarecrow as kind of new Prime Lanterns or whatnot... I mean, when we get Ganthet basically borrowing Hal's power ring, replicating one for himself, and welcoming himself to the Green Lantern Corps, (laughs) invoking the Blackest Night protocols, because apparently all Owen power rings can apparently deputize individuals for 24 hours under certain circumstances, and then boom, there's new rings, and and they're they're going around, and we've we've got a whole bunch. 
And that was just kind of cool. And they did action figures for, for all of these characters. And it was cool. And I didn't even know that was a thing because I've never seen it since I've been reading Green Lantern. So that you could deputize someone, you know, in 24 hours of power. But that was really cool. That's technically, I think, according to what Ganthet was saying, only in like this exact situation. Oh, that situation. Okay, all right. They knew this but was it, coming, and they they you know had a a backup contingency plan in place. Very cool. Very cool. So now, my curiosity, Sam, do you have the Jeff Johns just Green Lanterns omnibus? There's three of them, I think. I do not. I've I've got ninety nine percent of the issues. And I've got soft covers Okay. most of the events, you know, the Sinestro Core War, the Rebirth, the... But no, I don't happen to have those omnibuses. Okay, I do have those, and of course I haven't read them. But I'm going to be curious when I do read them, because this run looks pretty epic. So I'm going to read all this Green Lantern stuff. I'm curious, because I have the Blackest Night omnibus, which is the fourth one, what issues from Blackest Night are going to go in the regular Jeff Johns issues? So I don't know how they'll incorporate that, if I need to, like, break out and just read Blackest Night and then come back. So uh, that'll be fun for me when I get there. That'd be worth doing a little research for, because I think it'd be great if you read all the, the Jeff Johns Green Lantern titles and stuff, and then the full Blackest Night event, because I think you'll have then the full context of who a lot of these characters are, what's going on. It'll be a different read for you. I, I think so. I think that's when it'll hit me and I'll be like, this is amazing. This is epic. This is a great run. And I, I'll be really excited for it. I mean, and I still enjoyed what I read here. It's just, I know I'm missing so much, and I'm just kind of rolling with it. Okay, okay. And it's kind of funny, John, because sometimes we'll review stuff, and you have a lot of background that I don't have because you've been reading characters forever. Mm-hmm. And so you have so much context that I just don't have. I'm, I'm flying blind. Well, and I don't know how much this helps, James, but I can tell you the issues in the Blackest Night on the bus yeah. are Lantern 43 to 52 and Core... 39 to 47. Okay. All right. I'm going to pull up the regular omnibus and see what they have. And yeah. I'm going to, tr- I'm going to try and see, I bet you there's a section where they'll probably have some stuff in there. And I'm just going to be like, okay, I'm going to just break out these p- chat pages. We'll go read the blackest night. And then I'll come back to this omnibus. <laughs> Trust me. It's very obvious. The first issue is the one that really doesn't have a green lantern in it. It's all about black hand and, it's all talking about Blackest Night starting, so... That'll be the cue. Boom. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> when yeah, you get to that issue, flip over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But overall, I thought it was cool. I thought there was so much fun stuff in here. I even, like you said, I like seeing Scarecrow become a, a Lantern. I mean, it, it was just fun. I liked seeing the stuff with Lex. I like seeing the White Lanterns. And then it makes me somewhat sad for where the Green Lanterns are today. I, I feel like with when Venditti took over he did the the title justice because it was mm-hmm. real exciting and a lot of fun. And then we got Grant Morrison, who I felt like, oh, okay, this is not good. And now I can't even remember the name of the writer now, but it's just not, something green or something. It, but it's just not very good. Well, it, and the fact that they're downplaying the, the power rings and all that stuff versus here, where they were so very much celebrating the concept of power rings. Yeah. They had them it was every color and such. It's insane. Yeah, it celebrated, and it almost amped up the power to something we just don't see right mm-hmm. now. And so I, this is like the exciting Green Lanterns that I want to read. This is the Green Lantern core and all the other Lantern cores. I'd like to see them come back. Will they ever do that? I don't know, but 
you know, I, I'm thankful that Jeff Johns did this. Technically, they haven't gone away, so they're out there to be had. We just don't see them much. Yeah, they're just in the... Who knows? <laughs> it's been a while since we've seen Larflees or the Indigo Tribe. We see Sinestro quite a bit, the Red Lanterns uh, quite a bit. The Star Sapphires, not so much. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this splash at the end of, of number six, where we've got the, the heroes in their, their new powering suits and whatnot. And man, I just, I really got to call out the, the colorist again. Yeah. You know, the yeah. way Lex's energy power armor, you know, looks clearly like it's an energy construct. With the flash, the light trail that the ring has left as he's, you know, moved his arm as he's running and stuff. Just little tidbits like that, I think, are, are awesome. Yeah, it, th- this is really cool. It, who Who is the, I can't remember the, the guy's name, the one with no shirt on standing there with the staff. Adam. Adam. I'm sorry, can't well, remember his name. And that's a callback to the Sword of the Adam kind of look he had yeah. when he was doing, I don't say the sword and sandals type look, but kind of, yeah. I like him. They almost give him a Celtic look with those designs on his chest. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. He's a character I really wish they would bring back to the forefront. Awesome character. They just, I mean, there, there's parts of the DC universe I think they've just lost sight of, and I think it's a shame. Yeah. And actually, Donna Troy, I don't see her very much, but I don't read the Titans, the, the, so I, I haven't been reading her. Well, and this is uh, the real Wonder Woman, not, not that. Oh, that's Wonder the Wonder real Wonder Woman? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm mixed it up. All just right, broken free of the, uh, the Black Lantern, thanks to the, All right. uh, the Violet Lantern. My bad. <laughs> so she's a, a makeshift star sapphire there. But that's one of those things, when they're kind of taking their costume and morphing it with the, the lantern outfits and such, it does get a little hard to clearly recognize some of these characters sometimes. It does. So, again, just some, some fun stuff. In issue seven, we get a couple of big moments. We find somebody's maybe trapped in the power battery. That comes out in number eight. Uh, and when we get Sinestro is becoming a white lantern, because, well, just ask him. He thinks he's, he's the right choice. That was a ton of fun. And at this yeah. point, we didn't know really what a, a white lantern was and what that meant, you know, at all. Yeah, so this was something new and very cool. Now, the a question I had for you guys, that person or that thing we saw trapped in the lantern, when did that happen? Man, that's they, a good w- question. I Okay. <laughs> I think they had to have explained that in one of the, the Green Lantern titles. Because that's a pretty powerful thing going on there, and I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> See, I'm not sure that ever got explored after this. I'm trying to remember if they got to it before Convergence. And I don't remember it ever getting going back to. Okay. I, I, just, I just rolled with it. Arguably, it happens at the end of Infinite Crisis and in the Blackest Night Superman tie-in mini and in those Adventure Comics issues I was talking about that were tie-ins. Okay. Well, that was just something I have. It was curious. I was like, "How did? Who made that happen?" That's wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the kind of thing. If you'd asked me, you know, ten, twelve years ago, I might have been able to answer. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you're like, forget it. <laughs> yeah, th- those adventure comics with the Legion and Superboy Prime deal with a Black Lantern, Alexander Luther, and a Golden Age Superman, Black Lantern, and. Yeah, that that it comes from there slash the end of Infinite Crisis. Okay, very cool though. It is a cool concept. I like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, they just did a, a ton of fun stuff, and man, the game changing nature of this eighth issue is just insane. Yes, it is. Um, when when Black Hand starts puking White Lantern rings and those go flying around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, things things start changing. We bring a lot of characters back, yeah, you know, I, and a, a couple of them, it's like, I would not have expected that. Yeah, I I was kind of surprised. I was like, boom, and they're all coming back. Not all, but a, quite a few. I, I'll tell you what, one thing that was really cool for me, at the very beginning, the person who's the White Lantern, I, I don't know how spoiler, you know, related we get, but ripping out the heart of the of, of Necron. And I was just surprised. I, you know, it's almost like, I'm like, oh, is that it? Is it over? But seeing it flip, I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. That, that was like a cool moment for me. I love seeing that. And then just how it all played out. And then there's a huge splash page after that that was amazing and detailed after that section. Yeah, again, Ivan Rice does not disappoint. Neither does uh, the colorist uh, Alex Sinclair. Yeah, there's got to be like 100 characters on that one double page splash. I was like, wow, that's, that's intense. <laughs> and they just, yeah. This was a, a monumental event at the time. It feels like it. It feels weighty. Well, it, Jeff Johns was at the top of his game at this point. He'd been building this for years. This had ramifications for quite some time, given the, the the characters they brought back, how it played out for the next, I don't know, half year or whatever in, in Brightest Day and Justice League Generations Lost. This really changed the status quo for the Hawks, uh, Hawkgirl and Hawkman. Yep. Firestorm. It did some, some other stuff for some of the Justice Leaguers and such. You can't really just say, ah, oh, well, nothing changed here. A ton changed. Yeah, just when you get to those panels where it's like, live, live, you know, that's a big change. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that cleaned up a lot of stuff and changed the whole trajectory right there. Well, yeah. And, and again, that Generation Lost series, it was a very interesting choice to bring Max Lord back and not Ted Cord. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Th- this overall was a fantastic series. I just... I liked it, but I feel like, and, and we've, we've said it, there's so much more there, so it makes me want to read the Omnibus and the whole Green Lantern series. It's just fine in time to do it. I probably need to stop buying single issues and dig through my Omnibus. Just kidding, John. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally understand that. I mean, seriously, there's a lot to be said for, you know, if you're not totally satisfied with the current comics, and I'll admit I'm not in many cases, there's some really strong runs of a lot of titles and sometimes entire universes and such in the past that's worth revisiting. Oh, there is. And I have so much on the DC side I need to read. Like, I have the Longbow Hunters, the... You name it, I haven't read it. And there's so much cool stuff that I need to read. I want to read that JSA stuff from the 80s, you know, but... or And I want to read uh, Jeff John's JSA. Mm-hmm. I want to read the Legion stuff. That's what it is, the Legion stuff from the 80s. I want to... Just all those things I want to experience... And of course, I want to go back and touch on stuff that I grew up liking in Marvel or in Image or wherever. But it's just fine in time to do it with the current comics coming out, you know, and they, they don't stop coming unless I stop ordering them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the other thing with, with reading back issues is some are more accessible than others. Some are more self-contained than others. Yeah. And there is an aspect of being self-contained can make them more accessible. Because again, here... We're kind of not expected to know the status quo of all these characters, but okay, they bring Maxwell Lord back. If you don't know who he is, who cares? Yeah. You know, but if you do, it's like, oh, I see what they might be building or why this is important and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. I I didn't know who Max much about Maxwell Lord, so I was like I just was like, okay. (laughs) Well, and why and why the character that's so upset with him is, I mean, you gotta know several years worth of history to really understand that what a big deal Max being back was. 
that's not the character I think that should have been maddest at max. I think it would have I, been Booster Gold. Yeah, I agree, but I don't think we've seen Booster in this entire series. No, I don't think so either. I'm trying to think where he was at this point. It's weird because he was in that Generation Lost book. I think he was off being the greatest hero no one ever knew and traveling with Rip in it's time. Possible. But I could be wrong on that. But uh, him, him and Mr. Lord do have their moments coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Well, again, to, to resurrect over half a dozen characters and whatnot uh, is a big deal. To clearly set the scene of, of Batman is coming back, that's a big deal. And, you know, Superman and, and Wonder Woman show up in these, these issues, but they're really not that big of a deal in the story. Well, no, they're, they're, not. they're not in the first few issues because they're in their own minis. They get turned into Black Lanterns early in the second half and don't play that big a role until that's undone at the very end. And then they just kind of, well, they're undone like a bunch of other stuff is undone. I mean, half the time their role is just standing around being present at the event. Yeah. Versus being in the forefront of the action as they normally would be. Yeah. You know, the fact that we start and end all of this stuff with, with Barry and Hal, that was highly unusual for a DC event. Well, and at Bruce's grave. Mm-hmm. Both yep. times. Yeah. You'd expect uh, Batman or Superman to be leading the charge in a normal event. Well, in a normal event, you would expect Flash to get killed off. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't he dead? <laughs> Half the time, Hal wouldn't have had a power ring. <laughs> he didn't in uh, Crisis. That's kind of sad. Here, he's got plenty to spare. Uh, it would be hilarious to go through and count the number of power rings that are floating about in this series. This just this mini series alone. They're all over. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see them do more with a lot of these characters and a lot of the ones they brought back. They've you know since killed off again a time or two, I think. And sometimes they just don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm just looking at one of the pages with all these lanterns that I know who some of them are. You know, I'm, I'm looking at them. I know the popular ones, but we don't even really see them today in the the current Green Lantern. You know, it's more around Teen Lantern and you'll see pop up, you know, you'll get an issue with this character or that character. But you, it, rarely do you see all of them or many of them. Well, and remember, this is two full continuities ago. Yeah. I'm not sure some of these characters exist anymore. Most of them, ex- well, a lot of them exist in some way, shape, or form, because the Green Lantern stuff didn't undergo that much of a change with the New 52 reboot, and Rebirth wasn't a full reboot, but just a, a fine-tuning of the timeline. Fair enough. Wow. But Kilowog is the one, out of after the Earth Green Lanterns, Kilowog is the most likely one you're going to see. Beyond that, Salak, who I don't see here, and... I would assume Tomar Ray and Arissa would be the next two. Oh man, not even, not really. I mean, they haven't gotten used a whole lot since around the time of Crisis. Yeah, they were crisis. big before that uh, on Infinite Earths. Well, Cur- Tomar Ray is pretty big in this Jeff Johns run, and, and Arissa's really important in this run. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It's been a while since I've read it. Okay. But they were. So they were gone after this. So, I mean, there's there's a ton of Green Lanterns, of course, so there's no shortage of them, but. I do see uh, Booster Gold, by the way, on that two-page splash with all the lanterns. Oh, is he? Oh. Okay. He's uh, above Black Canary as the JSA seems to be rushing in. Got it, okay. But yeah, that's the extent of his involvement for the most part. That's it. <laughs> Man, they've got Starfire there. They missed an opportunity for her not to have a Red Lantern. Or a Red, or a uh, a Violet one. Love or uh, or Rage. Either would fit. Both would have, and that would have been wild. So she's a loving and rageful character. She's very passionate. 
Ah, see, I haven't read her, so I don't know nothing about her. But yeah, she looks uh, very rageful in this. Some point, you have got to go through the the Wolfman Perez uh, New Teen Titans. I have those books too, and the Omnibus form. Ah, so much to read. I have so much to read. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem yeah. to have. It is. It is. But only if you do the reading. Yes, I need to do it. <laughs> So yeah, this was, uh, as far as DC events goes, I think this was a really solid one. It reads better if you read the whole event, but that's that's kind of daunting, admittedly so. I would say this is not new reader friendly, but it's way more new reader friendly than like a Crisis on Infinite Earths. It reads better. It reads more modern and it it, it flows a little bit better. Well, it was told, what, 25, 35 years later or whatever? Yeah. 85 to 2010, so... Yeah, so it's a quicker read. You can read through it. But I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think probably there's more, way, 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 way more impact with Crisis on Infinite Earth. The art's great and the story's great. This is awesome in its own respect. I liked Mm -hmm. it for what it was. And it's easy to read. And I just, I know there's way more layers with The Onion. I just need to dig into those. I I had fun, though. I'm, I'm glad you guys suggested this. I think this is more casual friendly, however, James. Yeah, yeah. I, that that's I think the big difference. Ne- neither of them is new reader friendly, but somebody who reads a few issues a year for twenty years and is kind of familiar with the characters, I think will get more out of this than Crisis. Well, yeah. this is something that's built off of the last five years of of what Jeff Johns thereabouts have been doing in the the Green Lantern books versus you know fifty years of everything that had ever happened in DC. Yeah, th- this made more sense to me than Crisis on Infinite Earths just because it's more modern and it's easier to read it's way more accessible to me Mm -hmm. whereas i didn't really understand what was going on in a lot of crisis until you guys were explaining it to me i was like oh okay that makes sense oh okay there's just so much going on there that was just it was over my head yeah but again this is something that jeff johns had been i think explicitly building to for years yeah so there was a logic to it there was a progression to it there was some foreshadowing for some stuff Whereas Crisis was a reaction to how convoluted continuity had per- been perceived to have gotten at DC at the time. Yeah. And I say perceived because honestly, I think it was clearer before Crisis than after. But that's a whole different topic. I just thought of a roundtable discussion. Continuity. What do we think of it? <laughs> we could definitely and should definitely do that. I've got lots of thoughts on that. Yeah. I think that's a good one because I'm starting to have a lot of thoughts about it. All right. <laughs> There's, there's ways to use it well, and there's ways to use it poorly. Exactly. It, it can be something that's very rewarding to longtime readers, and then there's ways where it can be almost like a inaccessible, you know, where you literally kind of captivate a certain, which I think we have now, a certain reader base, and you make it inaccessible to everyone else. It's, it's our club, you know? You can't come in. You don't understand. And th- that happens. Anyone who's really against continuity and thinks it's just a bad thing in general the question I have for them is, did they like Avengers Endgame? Yeah. And if yes, would that have worked without the continuity of all the previous movies? Very true. Very true. You know? So, yeah. We did have a few questions from Jason Zeller. Oh, yeah. He asked what the reaction to Cal L with just the L and Lois from Earth 2 being resurrected as, as Black Lanterns only to, to quote-unquote, die again. I <laughs> uh, hoped he would have left them in peace after Infinite Crisis, uh, which I would have hoped they would have done after Crisis on Infinite Earth. So yeah, what was our take on the use of these classic characters? I'm going to go with that happened outside the Blackest Night miniseries itself. So technically at the moment, I don't have any particular feelings about it because I haven't just read it. 
technically it wasn't really Kal-El and Lois, but Black Lantern versions of them. I mean, not to be confused with the actual Black Lantern Kal-El Superman of Earth-1 that we, we had here. Again, we've got two different types of, of Black Lanterns in this series, which is a little weird, but still. So I didn't really have thoughts on it. There's, yeah, it happens kind of in two places. Uh, like I said, it happens in the Blackest Night Superman miniseries, which definitely is more what you just explained. Then it happens in the Adventure Comics with Superboy Prime. How about the JSA uh, Blackest Night? Did it not happen there, too? Lois and Cal-El are in Smallville with Connor. I, not in JSA, I don't think. Okay, okay. I, that yeah. was the other place it could have happened, was all I was yeah. thinking. Again, it's been ages since I've read it. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not the real them. Arguably, the one with Superboy Prime in Adventure Comics is the real them, which is a whole different issue. I actually thought it was kind of neat. I thought Superboy Prime having to meet with them again after Infinite Crisis was kind of fun. And having to deal, he's kind of told their perspective on things of how that ended that I don't think Superboy Prime would have thought of. So I think it's kind of cool. But that's me. The other thing he had is, I guess the two main points more generally of DC at the time would be Batman being thought dead at the time and the general plot points of Green Lantern Corps going into the story. Uh, Green Lantern was always a gray area for him in terms of characters and continuity and stuff. And yeah, Batman was was thought to have been dead at this point, but kind of quote-unquote got better later. He seemed to have, I guess, been blasted back in time. I'd have to reread some stuff at the time to really clarify that. But I do recall the... Return of Bruce Wayne miniseries uh, being kind of fun. So he, he, he literally didn't die. He got blasted into a diff- maybe back in time to a different time period. I kind of think so, as I recall. But again, it's been over a dozen uh, years since I've read this. Oh, I, I assumed he was dead. So no, okay. the, the, the timeline gets confusing. I mean, that, that was clear even at the end of Final Crisis when you see Bruce Wayne basically scribble a bat on a cave wall next to Anthro. Yeah. The boy. Something you've probably read, James, is the Dark Knight's Metal. Yeah. The way that Batman kind of is dealt with in the older or alternate reality versions is kind of how this Bruce ended up. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, so I I didn't have any context. I, I was like, huh. I, did, I just didn't know. I'm just assuming. And I didn't want to take the conversation for a 30-minute, you know, <laughs> tell, give, give me the back history on what's going on with the Wayne family. <laughs> Maybe that's another set of roundtables we should do is uh, continuity questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd need those in advance to do a little research on some of this because uh, my memory's not what it used to be on some of this. Now, one question just to close this out that I've got for you two. Okay. I would consider this to be kind of a high point of DC. I think they were firing on all cylinders, doing some great stuff. This was a a well-received event. Would you kind of agree with that? Not agree? For me, okay, being a, a newer reader to this, I feel like this is way more top, it's like top shelf writing and art than what we're getting currently from DC. So yeah, this felt like more of a golden age for DC when I'm reading it versus like if you give me a current Green Lantern and I hadn't ever read it before, I was like, I'd be like, eh, this, this is so-so, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> it kind of stinks. So yeah, I, I, I definitely think this is, was a golden age. Sam, what are your thoughts? It was definitely well-received. I mean, I there was a... I mean, Infinite Crisis, there was eh, questions. One year later, some people loved, some people hated. 52 seemed to be extremely well-received. And then Final Cry Countdown really 
was not so not much. Yeah, well received. Final Crisis was half well received, half not, and took way too long. I don't know if you remember those delays. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this felt like another real high point where everybody was excited about DC and reading this. Well, okay, so this is kind of the first quarter, first half, or whatever of 2010. High point for DC. They've they've done some great stuff here. They came out of it, I think, strong with the game plan going into Brightest Day and the the Justice League Generations Lost and the tie-ins on other titles and such. Let's roll forward to the middle of 2011 when they've gone into Flashpoint, paused all their titles so they can reboot their entire damn universe. It's like, what went wrong? Brightest Day was super exciting when it started. Four or five issues in, it was like, where are we going and why are we going? Yeah. I mean, within a year and a half or so of this, Hal Jordan was perceived to be an intergalactic criminal, I believe. What? <laughs> that was Why? one of the things Dan Didio called out, is he realized at a convention that people just didn't care about the stories and the characters anymore for DC. That they, they, They'd lost that. People were asking about, I forget if it was variant covers or something, but it wasn't about the stories and the characters, and that's when they realized they needed to shake things up. And That's... I don't know if I would have predicted that when I originally read The End of Blackest Night. Wow. That, that, that's kind of shocking to me that, that it happened that quickly. I agree. It was super exciting, but I do remember it crashing quickly. I think they made it through more or less most of the, blackest, or the brightest day after this. But after that, yeah, it unraveled. But and... I don't remember people being excited about the brightest day by the end of it. Not by the end of it, but I think they made it through okay. Okay. I don't think they were, oh my god, you're, you're you know, why am I reading DC? Yeah. Whereas no. there was some of that before the announcement of, of Flashpoint, which instantly put everything into a lame duck status. So there were a lot of people, as well, I'm not going to bother finishing this title. Why should I? They don't care. Well, I have a question for you guys on that. What The reason, okay, it... it, it let's say the stuff went off a cliff. Was Jeff Johns not writing it anymore? Or did he just take it to where he's a criminal? I mean, here you have this great writer who did this great thing. What what caused this? I think it was a different creative team. I'm not sure how much longer Jeff Johns stayed on the titles after this. Okay, so this was near the end. Okay, culmination I, I, of all his work, maybe. I don't remember. Jeff okay. Johns took the big job, though. He was chief creative officer. Yeah. And I think the problem was he, Dan Didio, and Jim Lee basically got out of the weeds and weren't paying attention to the books as they were coming out every or being put together for every month and such. That's how they would come and realize, wait, what do you mean Hal Jordan's an intergalactic criminal? Why did, you know, how did this happen to this other character and such? Wow. They, they took their eye off the bowl. So that was essentially the War of the Green Lanterns, which... Dan or J- Jeff stayed through in issue 67, mm-hmm. you know, which is the middle of 2011. Jeff left to do that Green Lantern movie, which I just rewatched with my kids. It's still not great. I don't think it's as bad as it was the first time I saw it. Surprisingly, my kids loved it. So I thought it was a fun movie. I'm not going to say I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, exactly. Again, to go from this high point to a let's chuck everything and, and start over, you know, in less than two years. That's depressing. It's astounding. Yeah, I, I just don't know how you fall off the cliff that quick. 
And then they rebooted it, and then they reboot, kind of rebooted it again. And that second reboot is when I came in. I, I think D- at DC some point we need to to put together kind of a timeline or, and get a consensus amongst the listenership and stuff. Because I know you guys tend to use reboot in a couple of cases where I don't. Yeah. Yeah, and Rebirth just, wasn't really a reboot, yeah. Yeah, it was a retooling, absolutely, and and some retcons. But New 52, that was a flat-out reboot. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but Rebirth, Jeff Johns started that. And if you remember that Rebirth special, mm-hmm. how excited everyone was. Yep. As yep. I remember, us included. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then, what, three years to get 12 issues of... Uh, Doomsday Clock later and nobody cared? Well, you mean the three years elapsed that it took Doomsday Clock to come out? Or how long between... Because I forget how long it was between Rebirth Special, The Button, and then eventually getting Doomsday Clock. Because, man, that was... The the, the lag time there was insane. Well, and Jeff Johns didn't write The Button, did he? I don't uh, think so, but I don't recall. It could have been Scott Snyder. I don't remember. Either way, the stuff was dragging out, and there was no story momentum from what they I, started I, to what they, they pay off years later. I hate to say it, I think it was Tom King, because he was oh, Batman right oh, at the time. Oh, that's right. Probably Tom was, King. yeah. Yeah, Tom King was the start of the downfall. With- <laughs> uh, it, it, to me, it's not as simple as the no. downfall or the start. Yeah, let's just face it, different titles are going off the rails at different times. Yeah, and that's true. When did Dan DiDio go? That was... It's only about two couple of years ago. 2019? 2020? Yeah, yeah, three. Night, yeah, somewhere in there. I think shortly before the pandemic. Okay. And I don't think he was a bad guy. I think he had some good ideas. I don't think he should have been writing some of the books. I think they he would have been a good guy as to double also as kind of the, the editor-in-chief and keep an eye on the books and make sure they're telling the right kinds of stories. Well, yeah, here's but... the real question. When did Paul Levitz leave? Ah, and by the way, you're right on. February 22nd, 2020 is when Didio left. Okay, yeah. Paul Levitz stepped down as publisher. I'm looking online. December 31st, 2020. No. Paul announced no. there was retirement for DC. Oh, okay. No. That's retirement, not when he stepped down as publisher. Oh, that's true. That's true. Never mind. Because I think the moment we're looking for where everything falls apart is about that time, John. Absolutely. I think so. I think Paul Levitz did a terrific job keeping DC kind of under the radar and held together through the the efforts of some really good uh, editors-in-chief, too. And writers and all kinds. No doubt about any of that. I found a story on CBR. Is that September 9th, 2009? Paul, Paul Levitt's no longer publisher. That's the, oh. yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was around that time, around... 9909. Okay, yeah. well, so then, then this came out afterwards, and then arguably things started getting worse hey. after that. You guys want to get a Illuminati 999, you flip it over, it's 666. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Paul oh. Levitz, though, I think, is an unsung hero at times for, for DC. Did some terrific writing over the years with some of the Earth 2 characters, the JSA, with the Legion, absolutely. And as a leader at DC, in terms of editorial, publishing, etc., steered the company through some rough times and some, some really interesting decisions and did a, a solid job on that that's yeah. i think his leadership is what led to things like this even if it came out after he was publisher but he laid the groundwork for for jeff johns to be building up expanding the franchise and, and some stuff like that yeah and, and from so far what we've seen of jim lee he hasn't done much but 
also AT&T is spinning off the company with Discovery Channel. We don't know if any big changes are going to be made or if they can be made. Everything seems like it's in flux right now. It is, but you've got to look at everything that happened after the new 52, which was long enough after Lovitz's departure that uh, Dan Didio and Jim Lee were able to exert their influence over that reboot. And five year li- years later, they had to retool it with Rebirth. We're now, you know, five years plus after that, and they're having to constantly retool it. And it's and granted, you know, Dandidio is not there and some stuff like that, but they don't have a long-term game plan at DC. Who's the that, That's why I don't think we see events of this quality uh, these days. Who, who's got the history? Writers, publishers, editors? I can't name... Jim Lee is an interesting case. Only because he's so behind the scenes, we have I have no idea what he does or doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Who other than Jim Lee, though, has been in, do we know, has been in comics and interested in comics for more than the last five years that even works there? I can think of one writer they've got that, were he available to do it, I think would make a very interesting choice, yep. either as chief creative officer, editor-in-chief, and or publisher. I mean, give him the hat trick, let him do all three. I know who that is. <laughs> but Mark Wade's busy, I think, also being publisher over at Humanoids now, so. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean, there's nobody else in that company. No, it, it feels like there's little fiefdoms right now. So, like, Bendis is doing his little Bendis stuff over here. Whenever he's writing whatever books, he's playing with his characters. And, you know, this writer's over here doing their thing. It, it, nobody's working together. The books are disconjointed, it feels like. Bendis was a Marvel guy as late as Rebirth. I, you know, I still don't think of Bendis as a DC guy. Yeah. And I think part of what made this event work was not only was Jeff Johns in charge of it, he's a longtime DC fan. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it in his writing. You look at what he did in revitalizing the Green Lantern franchise to the point it didn't need to be touched when they rebooted the entire universe. Yeah. Green Lantern and Batman were the only ones that had that. Everything yeah. else got a clean slate. You look at how he completely revitalized the Justice Society and made them key players in the DC Universe for a long time. He knew what he was doing. Well, okay, and let's give some credit to some of the other ancillary people here. Peter Tomasi worked with Jeff Johns a lot on the Green mm-hmm. Lantern stuff. Yep. And when you go back to the JSA stuff, let's not forget James Robinson was there for mm-hmm. all that too. He had some definitely great writing partners and stuff. I don't think they were quite the visionaries he was, but in addition to somebody who's got that vision, you need other people who can help execute it on the various titles. And and again, have that history. I think both those yeah. guys we just mentioned at least had the history. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. Terrific guys, great writers, very talented, and they've done great work on, on various titles over the years. And Sterling Gates was there for a lot of this later Green Lantern stuff as well in Brightest Day. Uh, he ended up going off to DC TV, though, right? He did. He's been doing stuff on the TV side, but I thought he did some solid work on a number of yeah. of comic titles when he was there. Yeah. Didn't get the credit he deserved either. Yeah, it, 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 right now I feel like everything's in flux. I'm waiting for something to change, but I don't see... We have a crisis coming up, but I don't see the creators coming in yet. Because we had a big talent, a, a lot of talent leave. Snyder left, Jeff Johns left, just a ton of people left. Venditti's not doing anything right now, I don't think. And they just need some of those people to come back who really like DC and know DC and are really talented creators. 
you know what the irony of all of this is. What's that? By the time this episode goes up, all of that may have changed. Ah, that's true. <laughs> we may be half, not halfway, we may be into that next uh, dark crisis or whatever. We may have a sense of who the new creators are. We may have a sense of, is this a, a bright new future for DC? Or maybe it's, it's a crisis going into the dark. I don't know. Yeah. Editor's note, this was recorded March 29th. Exactly. Uh, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how well it ages. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought this was a fun event. I like good events. I just want one that gets me this excited about DC. And it's been a while since I've, I've felt that. I, I understand exactly what you mean. So, uh, And I'm ready for it, too. So fingers crossed for something good. Yeah. I agree with all that. The good news is there are all these on the buses. There are all these back issues. And there's a lot of really good DC stuff out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff in past continuities, past titles and stuff that's well worth reading. Yeah. And this is just the, the tip of the iceberg on that. Yeah. Lots of stuff for the future book clubs. Yeah. Yep. Well, and back issue spotlights and yep. Legion spotlights, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else? I'm good. That does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.